Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Lucy Crane, who's a senior geologist at Cornish Lithium here in the UK, who are developing a lithium mine in Cornwall. Um, and they're making tremendous progress with their project. Um, and I'm sure Lucy will explain during the course of this podcast how they're, how they're coming along. Um, Lucy's also part of Women in Mining UK. So we'll find out more about the good things that they're doing in the industry um, and Lucy's involvement with them. Um, I'm keen to get Lucy on the podcast um, after seeing her TED, TEDx talk on mining our way to a low-carbon future which is the main topic we'll be discussing in uh, today's episode. Um, so enough of me. Let's that's, uh, that's get straight on, and I want to welcome Lucy. How are you doing, Lucy? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on here. No, and I appreciate uh, you taking the time out uh, today to, uh, to conduct this podcast. So um, as we always do, I wanted to give the audience a little bit of a background about yourself, a brief overview of your career to where you are today. Uh, maybe tell the audience something that we may not know about you. So <laughs> fire away. Wonderful. Well, thanks for the introduction as well. So, so you mentioned I'm a geologist with Cornish Lithium, and I also work a bit on the business development alongside our CEO, Jeremy Rathel. So I studied geology, earth sciences, as my undergraduate at Oxford University. And whilst I was there, between my third and fourth year, I did an internship at BP and I was in the exploration team and, you know, it was a great opportunity because I wanted to use my degree and actually go into the industry and make the most of what I've learned. And I spent the entire summer sitting at a computer picking seismic lines. And I just remember thinking, maybe oil and gas isn't for me. There's got to <laughs> be something more fun to do. Yeah. And that's when yeah. I started to seriously consider the mining industry. And, um, yeah, so that led me to do a master's in mining geology at the Camborne School of Mines straight after my undergrad. And that was brilliant. I just fell in love with the industry then. And I was lucky enough to get a job with a company called Outer Strategies straight on from my master's. So based back out of Oxford, but all of our projects were early stage exploration projects for base metals dotted throughout Africa. So I spent a decent amount of time doing field work in Morocco and Ethiopia, which was brilliant. And it's one of those things that you kind of look back on with rose-tinted glasses, you know, hiking through the high Atlas Mountains in Morocco, camping in the middle of nowhere and getting paid for it. It was pretty cool. Mm. Um, but I, I had a yearning to move back down to Cornwall and moved back down to Cornwall about two and a half years ago, the middle of 2017 which coincided with when Cornish Lithium were really starting to look to start their exploration program. So I was the first geologist on the team then. And we've now got a team of, I think, 12 geoscientists based down here in Cornwall. And yeah, as you said, we're exploring for lithium contained within geothermal waters. We're exploring for lithium contained within hard rock. 
and also other battery metals as well. So we've got a lot going on at the moment. Yeah, seems. Yeah, um, it's good um, that you said uh, that you were you were in oil and gas and now in mining. I don't think we've got many two oil and gas listeners, but we might have a few. But um, yeah, obviously from your experience, it seems a totally different industry, and I think a lot of people outside of the mining industry think oil and gas and mining are pretty similar, but I guess they're not. Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting one as well because, because we can probably touch on it more later, but one of the things I think the mining industry is struggling with at the moment is this image problem that it's got. And you know, people within the industry know how vital it is to extract these raw materials responsibly because we need, we need these raw materials to build low-carbon technologies to combat climate change. Yeah. But outside of the industry, people don't, don't seem to recognise quite how important primary extraction is for a modern civilized society, whether we're in one of those at the moment or not. And um, yeah, and so I think oil and gas, fossil fuels is is something that, you know, it's gonna be vital to keep society going for the next few decades probably, but people do have a very negative connotation of that. And I think the mining industry's got an opportunity to, you know, start to frame itself as part of the solution to combating climate change rather than being part of the problem. Yeah, and certainly yeah. Um, a lot of these yeah. protesters. I mean, I've been yeah. to a few mining yeah. events recently, mining. and especially the one in Australia. I went to one in Melbourne with a lot of protesters outside. Is it a case of them not understanding the industry, or is it a case of the media changing the perception of the mining industry, or is it obviously people are not informed of what mining actually does and do they actually these protesters actually understand i mean it could be a combination of a lot of them i mean what what are your yeah, thoughts on it probably probably that it is a combination of all of those things so in the last year 18 months largely due to the whole greta thunberg movement climate change is all of a sudden on people's radars in a way that it wasn't two years ago and because of that, I think people are becoming a lot more environmentally aware. But so many people still have this disconnect about, yes, OK, renewable energy is going to be one of the main ways in which we can combat climate change. But to build a wind turbine, you need something like, what is it, five and a half tons of copper wiring, 1,200 tons something of concrete like and two like tons that. of rare earth, something ridiculous like that, just for your standard three megawatt wind, wind turbine. And so we require a huge amount of mining to help us combat climate change. So I think a big part of that is this disconnect between what we're using, what we're consuming and where it comes from. But I also think that the mining industry historically has been quite quite reticent to actually engage with the public. So it tends to be, you know, the big disasters, the tailings dam collapses that make the news. So when people hear about mining, it's the negative things that make the news fact that you know there's a mine down the road and it's got really good community relations and it's working really well and it's restoring its old pits that's that's not newsworthy so people don't hear yeah. about it and maybe yeah. maybe we do need to make more of an effort to engage with people outside of our mining yeah. bubble as to the people who are doing things really well yeah but i suppose that is the media industry that, they yeah. tend to always tarnish yeah. industries tarnish the news make things bad as bad as as well they make it as bad but whether it is as bad as it is probably not so that's the i suppose that's the media industry for you so obviously there needs to be a lot of improvements but first of all what, what i want to do is um obviously 
uh, if you can give us an update on Cornish Lithium. Um, I interviewed uh, Jeremy uh, Ruffell, who's your founder and CEO. Um, it's one of my first episodes. I think it might have been episode three or four. Um, so way back, probably 15, 16 months ago. Um, so maybe our listeners, um, obviously listen to this, can also go back to that episode um, and see how far the actual company has grown in 15 or 16 months. So um, I wonder if you can just give us an overview of what, what you guys have been up to and what you're doing now and what the future is for um, Cornish Lithium. So it's exciting times down here at the moment in Cornwall. We have just finished two drilling programmes. So one is our kind of main drilling program, which has been our first couple of exploration holes looking for lithium contained within geothermal waters, um, which is the main focus of the company. But we're also assessing the potential for lithium contained within hard rock. So within the granite itself, it's contained within mica minerals. And we've just finished a short drilling campaign of 40 shallow holes in the St. Austral region of Cornwall. And just in time for the onslaught of coronavirus so we've managed to get them both signed, yeah. sealed up which is pretty yeah. good and um, we've also in parallel got an exploration program running looking at the potential for other battery materials so other base metals in Cornwall as well so Cornwall's got this amazing mining heritage they've been mining tin and tin and copper here for thousands of years and you know from the 1800s and 1900s it was a huge industry for the county and mining didn't stop because it ran out of ore mining stopped because you know the tin price crashed and indonesia started producing huge amounts of it and um then nobody's really, lo really looked at it as an exploration destination for the past few decades and there's we're finding huge potential down here so what I think is really exciting from a geologist's perspective is, although it's greenfield exploration because, you know, we're looking for lithium, which, you know, 20, 30 years ago people weren't exploring for, um, but it's brownfield exploration in the sense that we've got so, so much information about the subsurface from all the historic mining. So we've got a team of geologists that, uh, well, we've actually got a digital archivist who works with us. And because there's so much historic mining data available, but some of it has been in people's attics for a hundred years and is hand painted on vellum and can't go through can't go through a scanner. So our archivist Neil takes this information, he digitally photographs it, captures it, sticks these images together, and then that gets pa passed on to our geology team, who will then georeference these old map mine plans, maps, sections, and put them into virtual 2D and then 3D space. And so we can use this wealth of historic mining data to help us target where we want to drill for, for lithium in geothermal waters, lithium in hard rock, and also for the other batch of metals. So we've got this really powerful 3D digital model that we're constantly building on of what's going on under the subsurface in Cornwall. And because of our mineral rights position, um, which is quite advantageous down in Cornwall, we've got rights to ex explore for lithium in geothermal waters and other things over it's over 500 square kilometers of Cornwall now which is about 15% of the county 15 to 20% of the county which is which is pretty neat yeah, yeah. so it means we can kind of take a yeah. regional take a regional look at things and vector in on where's interesting rather than just where we've got the mineral rights because we've actually got a pretty good understanding of who owns what and where now Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's exciting times. Yeah, that no, sounds it. Yeah. And obviously, timing of this, uh, do, doing this podcast, obviously, uh, we're in the, well, I was going to say we're in the height of the coronavirus, but I think here in the UK, it's just, it's just sort of starting. 
Um, how's that affected you guys and and obviously moving forward over the coming weeks and maybe months? Yeah, I mean, so it's going to be it's going to be difficult, but I think as Cornish Lithium, we're pretty well placed to deal with it. We're lucky that we just literally we finished our drilling campaign for the hard rock lithium prospectivity last Friday, which is just before everything seems to have gone on, shut, on to shut down. Mm. And for our exploration program for lithium in geothermal waters, we've been drilling, drilling two holes, coring them down to just over a thousand meters each is the plan. So we finished the first hole a few weeks ago and we are you know, we're so close to where we wanted to finish the second hole anyway. And we actually finished, We, you know, we stopped drilling yesterday, so that our, which was Thursday, so that our Irish drilling contractors could get back over to Ireland before they go completely into shutdown. Yeah. So actually, yeah. fortuitously, all of our physical work for the next few months has wrapped up anyway. Um, we've got a lot of test results and analysis to actually go through. And because Cornish Lithium is quite a high-tech company, we're all set up so that we can work from home and work remotely anyway. All of our data is stored on cloud-based, secure cloud-based servers. We've got a supercomputer that we can all remote access into from our own computers, from our own laptops. So fortunately, and with the advent of things like Skype and Teams and Zoom, we can have virtual meetings pretty well as well. So. Yeah. We've got a hell of a lot of data to get through from our recent drilling campaigns over the next few months. So actually, I think but, we're going to be fine. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's obviously a time timing issue. So it's uh, so it's worked it's worked worked out well for you guys. So that's that's really good to hear. Um, want to obviously speak about um, obviously low carbon production, and I just wonder what your thoughts are. And obviously, you've done a TED talk around this. Um, what's the the potential for low carbon production of battery metals in Cornwall? This is where I think the opportunity to extract lithium from the geothermal waters is really interesting. So in Cornwall, the lithium is contained within these deep waters that circulate naturally in permeable geological structures. So the whole of Cornwall is underlain by a granite and it outcrops at the surface in places like Dartmoor and Bodmin and Land's End, but it's all joined up at depth in this big granite batholith. And this granite is important because it's hot it's got high amount of heat producing elements in it and it's also enriched in lithium and effectively as these deep stored groundwaters have been circulating through the granite for thousands of years they've been heated up which is why they've got good geothermal potential and they've also become enriched in lithium so the lithium we believe is contained within the mica minerals in the granite itself but lithium is really mobile so likes to jump into solutions as they kind of circulate through them so when mining was historically happening in Cornwall, um, the deep mines were plagued by these hot springs. So the reason that you've got engine houses dotted around the county is because they needed, needed to dewater the mines. So part of that water that they were pumping out was meteoric water, so rainwater is kind of trickling down from the surface. Whereas a significant proportion of the water that they were pumping out was from these deep hot springs that they encountered when they were driving across a permeable geological fault. And I mean, they don't happen everywhere, but they happen in significant proportions of the mines across the county. And it's these hot springs that are enriched in lithium. Um, so coming back to the low carbon question, if we can co-produce geothermal heat and energy alongside lithium production from these same waters because i mean 
our our plan for extraction is to effectively put water boreholes at depth into these geological structures where these deep enriched lithium waters is circulating naturally pump them up to the top and you know if we're pumping hot water up we may as well utilize that heat energy there's been some work done by a consultancy called Minviro, uh, which is run by a guy called Rob Pell, who's come out of the Campbell School of School of Mines. And they do life cycle assessments. So they basically look at what are the carbon impacts, the water, water impacts, the climate impacts of producing a whole suite of different metals from a whole suite of different methods. And they've done some work with a German project called Vulcan recently mm. and looking, doing a life cycle assessment of of producing lithium from geothermal waters versus producing lithium from spodumene, from salar brine deposits. And if you can utilize that energy contained within the waters to help towards the processing cost for your process, for your lithium extraction plant, then they actually claim that it might be a net zero route, net zero carbon route to producing lithium, which is pretty neat. Um, there, there's also huge advances being made in processing technologies to extract lithium from you know, sources that were previously considered unconventional, such as mica deposits. So there's a hell of a lot of work being done. We've actually, we are part, so Cornish Lithium is part of a consortium called Lithium for UK. And it's Cornish, Cornish Lithium, the Natural History Museum, and some Cornish mining consultants called Wardell Armstrong. And we've basically got 12 months of funding from the government through the UK, it's UKRI, uh, um, it's the Faraday Battery Challenge. And the project is looking at how viable it might be to produce lithium from a UK source for use in UK batteries and UK car industry. And as part of that, we're working with Minviro to do a life cycle assessment of, of exactly that, what is going to be the carbon impact of producing, producing lithium from UK geothermal sources, UK mica sources versus other parts of Europe and other parts of the world. So. There's a lot of research being done on it at the moment, and it looks at this stage that producing, producing lithium from geothermal waters could be a really neat, low-carbon, green way of doing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. it's good that, um, obviously, you've got the government involved, and I remember speaking to Jeremy at one of the conferences, and he mentioned, obviously, you guys have been getting grants from the government. So, obviously, you've got good things happening. What I was going to say is, how's the local community reacting to what you're doing, and how receptive are they in in the progress that you're making even if i suppose they don't really know too much even if they don't know too much about what you're doing how they how receptive have they been that's a really good question question so there's kind of two prongs to my answer the first is that we're trying to be as open and transparent with the local communities as to what we're doing as we possibly can be we want to have really good relationships with them because you need them now um, so we go to local fairs and fates and have a stall there and chat to the, the chat to the local community. We've had open days about our drilling campaigns at United Downs, and I think Cornwall's quite unique because it had a mining industry within living memory, and people see how important that was to the local economy and how, and how how reliant it's become on things like tourism and agriculture since. I think there's potentially more support for the resurgence of the mining industry in Cornwall than there might be in other parts of the, U the UK. Um, and so far, the reception that we've had from the locals and the relationships that we have have been really, really positive. 
Um, and so we're working really hard to make sure we maintain that. The second indication is that in summer 2019, so last summer, we did a crowdfunding campaign. So rather than, you know, we're too early stage to list at the moment, and I think listed mining companies are not necessarily having the best, the best time. And Jeremy's background's in mine finance. Yeah. And we made the decision to yeah. do crowdfunding last summer, which was through Crowdcube. So they're based in the Southwest anyway. And it allows people to invest in the company from as little as putting, you can put as little as 10 pounds in up to whatever you want. And it went really, really well. We were thrilled with it. And so we were aiming to raise 1 million. We raised 1.4 million, which is awesome. Good. And a lot good. of that was actually investment from the local community. So that then puts this huge weight of responsibility on your shoulders that, you know, you've got Mrs. Smith down the road who's invested 200 pounds in you. So we really don't take that responsibility lightly. lightly. Um, we made it very, you know, we make it very clear to people that we're such an early stage exploration company at the moment. We think there's a hell of a lot of potential and we're doing our best to find that out efficiently and rapidly and without spending too much money, but it is still early stage and it is still risky. However, yeah, the reception so far has been, yeah, really positive and it's something we're so, so, so keen to keep. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And what do you, what do you see you, the benefits in the long term to the local community? Obviously, they're probably thinking of things that are just happening now and in front of them. But for the longer term, if you're looking at 5, 10, 15, 20 years, have you looked at that sort of plan of how how the community can benefit in what you're doing now and obviously progressing the project further and maybe expanding? Um, what would you say the overall long-term effect will be in that area? So the benefits to, to Cornwall in the long run, I think, could be really significant. Actually, the Cornwall Council and Cornwall LEP have just released their draft local industrial strategy and geo-resources feature really heavily on that. So geo-resources are potential for geothermal and also mineral extraction. So basically, what assets have we got, we got underneath the ground? And they really see that responsible development of these geo-resources represents a huge opportunity for the county. At the moment, Cornwall's got one of the lowest, lowest productivity rates in Europe, which is why it qualified for so much EU funding. Um, it's also so heavily reliant on seasonal jobs, such as tourism and agriculture. And so there's a, I think there's a significant opportunity to produce a number of, of decently paid, fairly highly skilled jobs down here. We're lucky that we've still got the Campbell School of Mines and the Cornwall Mining Alliance. So there really is a cluster of mining related companies down here. But I think we can build on that a lot. I think one of the other benefits will be this transition to a decarbonized economy. So if we want to reduce our carbon output, Cornwall's got a huge opportunity for that. So whether that's through producing energy through geothermal heat and power, whether that's through responsibly producing the raw materials that these low carbon technologies need to be made out of, I think there's a really neat chance for Cornwall to responsibly produce the raw materials that you need to build the batteries, build some of the wind turbines. And so you can have this whole little industrial ecosystem around responsible extraction of georesources. I think the one thing that we're going to have to think about, though, is kind of managing public perceptions or public expectations. So the mining industry of old employed thousands of people underground and everything was done manually, whereas now, you know, mining technology is 
it's improved so much that you can have far fewer people underground and actually maybe you don't even need people to go into such dangerous dangerous spaces at all but that's obviously going to be a different employment metric so if places such as south crofty that's being run by strongbow do successfully reopen there's going to be a decent number of jobs associated with that whereas the number of jobs associated with a lithium extraction plant tacked onto a geothermal energy production plant will be fewer so yeah it's just managing people's expectations but i think there's a real opportunity to boost cornwall's economy pretty significantly yeah and you know cornish lithium are, yeah. we're a british company we're headquarters down here we really are keen to build something for the county rather than taking that you know potentially traditional mining industry approach of come in find a resource get it out and go that's not what we want to do we want to do we want to be part of building something down here yeah um obviously you mentioned yeah. about south well, crofty um and obviously the tradition um, that you've had down there in mining if you went back say i don't know 50 years when there was mining there to where you are now obviously you you would need a totally different skill set of people from back then to where which you were just speaking about um and obviously around automation and i know obviously there's there's now becoming more uh, more mines that are becoming automated uh, for instance the the um, resolute uh, operation in mali that's totally totally automated um have you guys thought about whether it's going to be sort of totally automated as a mine um and again looking at the the, the mines down in cornwall if they were going to restart the whole area in terms of uh, other mines in the area, would they be t totally automated or will you still have sort of some traditional mining? Um, just wonder what your thoughts are around that. Yeah, I think I think there's going to be, hopefully, three types of mineral extraction in Cornwall in the future. The first, which I think is our easiest win and the greenest, is extraction of lithium and potentially other things from geothermal waters. So... That will be, you know, that will just be a couple of boreholes into a structure pumping fluids up from the surface. And then you'll have some people working in the extraction plant, but it will be fairly, fairly automated. Um, the second type of mine is an under, underground hard rock narrow vein mine. And, you know, there's the opportunity to automate that a hell of a lot. Mm. But you need to balance that with providing jobs to the local economy and health and safety and also cost. So... I think there's there is a hell of a lot of opportunity to automate these and the third type of mine would be a small open pit at surface for lithium in hard rock um which you know in in the center of cornwall around the st austell area imeris is still a massive industry i think it employs about 900 people and they're doing open pit mining and extracting china clay um, I think there probably is an opportunity for a lot more automation in that. Um, what I think could be really exciting is that if we can effectively kickstart this metal mining industry, industry in Cornwall, so Imeris and industrial metals aside, um, we could become a, you know, a world leader in best practice. So we can have, have really high tech, highly automated, super safe mines that are mining things efficiently. We're minimizing waste. We're building in this whole circular economy concept of instead of thinking of things as waste, what else can we use these byproducts as? What other industries can they go into? And actually, and actually can we build in recycling of these raw materials into our supply chains? In 10 years time, recycling lithium ion batteries is going to start becoming a big industry. Is there a way that we can recycle these batteries, produce a lithium feedstock that you might be able to 
co-produce with with primary lithium to produce battery quality chemicals for reuse in the in, you know in the uk market so i think yeah there's there's a chance to set up this whole ecosystem around mining and georesources extraction in Cornwall. Yeah, certainly. And again, yeah, I suppose it's a decision as to whether you automate a mine or not automate a mine. Um, there may be a fewer, maybe a fewer amount of people that you need for each each mine or each um, scenario, but you'll need different types of people. If it's automated, obviously it's going to be more people that are more technology focused. Where if you had a just general open pit operation. They don't need to be as technology focused as such. So, yeah, I, I, you're going to create jobs, but you're going to be creating different types of jobs depending on the scenario that you go down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, um, yeah, so having the Camborne School of Mines on our doorstep, I mean, from our office, you can literally see the Camborne School of Mines out the window. And a lot of us studied there at some point, and they're doing some really good work on mine automation technology and robotics and stuff. So it's, it's it's cool having them there. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. You, you've said you've got quite a few geologists uh, on your team. Um, what's the importance of having sort of such a diverse team and with all the other different types of people that you've got involved in, in your project? Um, and I suppose, what, how else can you sort of um, do more and what other kind of services do you need to push the project along? Yeah, so at Cornish Lithium, we've got a pretty young team. And, you know, we've got a good gender balance as well, which has definitely been done on purpose. And I think it's great. You need a, you need a diverse team because you need diverse approaches to tackling problems. And, you know, the mining industry really needs to start to be seen as a much more attractive option for, peop, you know, keen beans to go into. Um, so at the moment, we're very exploration geology heavy, heavy because we are still at an early stage of exploration. We've got a couple of mining engineers who work with us. Well, Jeremy's one of them. And our head of exploration is also a mining engineer by training. So as our projects develop, we will probably need to bring in some of those skill sets. Um, a couple of the guys on our team are come from a mineral processing background. So at the moment, we've got all the skills that we need in-house. But we work with consultants. We work closely with especially Campbell School of Mines, but other research institutions as well to kind of collaborate on innovation projects. So at the moment, we're pretty well covered for project development, I'd say, for the next couple of years at least. But we are still at an early stage of exploration. We've got a long a long way to go before we start extracting things on a commercial scale. Yeah, yeah no, I understand. Yeah, yeah, no. um, I want to go back to um, a point that you did make, probably in your sort of introduction about the image, mining's image, and obviously there there probably is a problem there um why do you see this needs to change and i suppose how can what can mining mining companies do um to sort of change the image i, I mean i've asked this question on, on a few of my other podcasts and get we get i suppose we get a quite similar point of view um but obviously i, I can see an image problem but what from your thoughts being in the industry do you see what image problems do we see and how, how can we improve on that or how can people improve how can companies improve and what needs to be done i think a lot of it is related to climate change at the moment so the number of students signing up to university to study geology or geology related degrees has dropped off a cliff in the last five years and i think a lot of that is potentially that people associate the only industries that you go into with a geology degree might be oil and gas or mining. 
And obviously fossil fuels are a dirty word and potentially they are going to not die out, but they're going to wane a lot over the next couple of decades. And people have, I think, a really unvalidated view of what mining is. If you ask people to picture a miner, it's probably someone covered in coal dust who's been working underground for I'm ages. Just actually, about, I'm just about yeah. to say that. The word dirty <laughs> is, seems to be associated with mining. And I think people outside of mining have this impression of mining being dirty and i think that is that needs to change that is one thing i would say needs to change um that just that particular yeah. word and that perception in that word yeah i totally agree with you i totally agree with you it's i think it all comes down to that disconnect again with where what we're using in our daily lives comes comes from and the impact that that producing that has so with the food industry, for example, food miles are a thing now. People understand that if you're buying avocados out of season, you know, they've probably got a significant carbon impact associated with their production. But then you say to people, you know, well, a standard smartphone these days has two thirds of the elements of the periodic table contained within it. And then people will go, oh, where did they come from? And that's a very valid point. Different minds all around the world. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's gonna be one of the biggest problems that the, the industry has to tackle is how do we get people to see that mining is so vital for civilized society also combating climate change so we really need to start to think about how we can do it responsibly rather than just saying oh the industry is dreadful um, I think the other thing that people don't realize is the fact that as technologies develop we're using a whole suite of metals that historically we haven't used so the first lithium-ion battery for example was commercialized in 1991 and yes, before that, we extracted lithium and we used it as a glaze in pottery, ceramics and various other things, but nothing on the scale like demand is these days. Um, and that's the same for, you know, rare earth, earth elements and a whole suite of other metals. So A, recycling simply can't meet this future demand because we haven't got enough material in circulation already. And B, populations are growing. Society is becoming more middle class. People are moving into away from away from the countryside and into cities, which requires more infrastructure. And so, yeah, mining is vital, um, but we need to do it responsibly. And I think, I think going back to the point of why do we need to change the image? We're not getting, getting enough good, smart people coming into the industry. We're not getting enough students signing up, signing up to do geology or mining engineering related degrees anymore. And um, we need smart, clever people to be in to be in the industry so we need to kind of frame the mining industry as being positive and you know climate positive we can do things to help the environment with these tool you know with these degrees that give us these toolkits um but yeah so maybe that means that we need to actually be talking to school age kids because by the time you've chosen chosen your a levels and chosen you want to go to university it's probably too late yeah i was just yeah. going to make that point um i think um, one of the things that could be done is for people in schools and i don't mean uh, and i suppose i'm talking about more senior like senior schools from when you're 11 to 16 so in subjects like geo uh, not geology i was going to say subjects like well geology could be but chemistry like you mentioned the periodic table um there should be an element that you talk about mining and and because where do these obviously come from from a mine do actually i i remember when i done chemistry i don't think i even heard the word mining before when i learned about these um 
learned, when I learned about the periodic table. But so why can't they bring in something in this school curriculum to say and talk about mining? Because that's where obviously these materials come from. Um, and then so it ingrains in people's minds that that mining may be not dirty. And, and I think it's a long it will be a long process. But I think that's where you start. Um, and it's be educating yeah. everyone. Yeah, and I think that's such a good point. And I can't remember where I read it, so we'd need to fact check it. But I remember somebody telling me that actually talking to primary school children is one of the best ways to pass on information because they'll go home and their parents will say, oh, what did you learn today? And they'll say, oh, that everything, you know, if something hasn't been grown, then it's got to have been mined. Mm -hmm. And it's just that whole psyche. But yeah, you're completely right. If you'd have told me when I was 16 or 18 or probably even 20 that I'd end up in the mining industry, I'd have just what why we don't do that here why would yeah I wouldn't have believed it Um, whereas now I think it's such a it's a brilliant industry to be involved in I think there's so much opportunity to shape it for good and you know it's vital for society we need people who are strong advocates for the industry to go out and talk about how vital it is outside of our comfort zones and I think that's where, so you mentioned at the beginning that I'm on the committee for Women in Mining UK. Yeah. And I'm also on the committee yeah. for a group called the Young Mining Professionals. And, you know, just because there aren't that many females or young people in the mining industry <laughs> compared to some others. And we do events and things. But I think we need we need to advocate for the industry outside of our mining bubble. And so maybe we need to have schemes that we're, women in mining we're talking about joining up with potentially women in stem or the stem ambassador program and actually having networks where we can encourage our members to go back to their old school perhaps and do a do a talk about their career and just really start to make an effort to engage with people mm. and i think uh, again in the short term obviously the intake numbers for various subjects mining related subjects are way down for the demand for the industry um, so I do think there needs to be some sort of short-term um, way in which we need to encourage people to look at the mining industry. Obviously, longer term could be teaching the, the younger children. But in the short term, I think there needs to be things that need to be done. So these numbers will gradually increase. Um, people study, And I know, mine, for instance, mine engineering, the numbers are way down. Um, but it's how you encourage these people to start studying mine engineering and going into that field and i think that's something the industry needs to have a look at yeah so through women in mining actually we've been doing some work on trying to improve exactly that so for the last few years we've funded a scholarship for a female student to study mining engineering at msc level at the campbell school of mines Um, we're expanding that remit this year to fund any female who wants to study a mining related MSc at CSM and we're hoping that we that we can also then have a second a second scholarship that's UK wide in the following year and we're also we've set up an internship scheme which fingers crossed we'll be able to run this summer um, we ran it last year for the first time with Anglo-American it's through women in mining again and it's it's to give because one of the hardest things when you're trying to find a job when you're a student is it's that old adage of you can't get to get experience unless you've actually got some experience on your CV. So internships are really important. I think it's something that companies can offer to students without too much effort on their behalf, which will actually give the student a real leg up. And so with Women in Mining this year, 
we're hoping to run the internship scheme with three or four companies and it will give females it is for females only this one unfortunately but it'll give students the opportunity to go and work on a mine site for two months or spend half their time in the corporate office here in london and then go out to site and it really is invaluable and then people catch the bug and they realize how great an industry it can be and how different their perceptions it might have been but we've got a hell of a hell of a long way to go but you're so right we need to do a lot now to actually make sure we're not going to have another skills gap in the next few years yes yeah, certainly um yes yeah, so i want to slowly wrap this up but i want you to if you can talk about women in mining and what, and what you guys are doing obviously you've just mentioned some of it but if you can just give a good overview to the listeners and yeah show the great things that you are doing oh and attempting to do <laughs> so women in mining is a not-for-profit organization and women in mining uk we've actually been going from strength to strength over the last few years i think we've got anybody can sign up to be a member male and female or whatever you would classify yourself as and pretty much all of our events are open to everybody and we're really just trying to make the industry a more welcoming and diverse place to be and through that we do a series of networking events we do lectures we do panel discussions we have mentoring dinners and you know they're across a whole wide range of topics from finance to you know the technical exploration stuff we did a did a mining 101 last year that was really well received and one of our flagship things this year actually which hopefully touchwood shouldn't be impacted by coronavirus because you can vote online is every other year we do the 100 most inspirational women in mining and you can go online you can nominate someone who you've come across in your career who you think is an inspirational woman she might be doing great things and the main criteria is that they've got to be going over and above just being good at their job it's great that people are good at their jobs but has somebody been more inspiring than that and so that can be somebody who's you know just a few years into their career or it might be somebody who's got 40 years under their belt but what we really want to do is get as many nominations in as possible. Um, it's open for the next couple of months. If you search for Women in Mining, 100 Most Inspirational Women, you'll find where you can vote. It's open to women from, well, it's open to votes from across the globe. And yeah, we'll be releasing that in towards the end of the year. But that's probably our most exciting thing. And it just gives so much visibility to the women who get included on it. And I think it's a really important part of helping people to build their careers. Yeah. So, yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're doing a lot. Yeah, that seems. Yeah. And I've got one more question that I've just thought as you've been speaking. Um, obviously, outside of your, your day job <laughs> with um, Cornish Lithium, what else are you looking to, to do or achieve or maybe start up? Obviously, you're involved in women and mining. There's probably a few other things that you're potentially looking to do. What What are they and what, what kind of things would you like to implement? Oh, in the mining industry... Um, so there's actually quite a few discussions going on at the moment about how exactly do we make the mining industry a more responsible place to be and, and can we, instead of just having economic metrics by which we define a resource and a reserve, can we build in, you know, some kind of ESG, social governance, environmental metrics into what counts as a resource and a reserve? Because you might have the most amazing ore body under the ground and, you know, an easy way of extracting it. But if it's in a really, really environmentally sensitive area or somewhere where the local community had been burnt by a mining company before, you're never going to get, get that social license to operate or it's going to be much, much harder for you to have a successful project there. So 
there's a group called Responsible Reserves, which are looking at this. And I know there's various people around the world as well. Well, um, but I think that's something that will be really interesting to see if we can actually build into how you classify resource. Um, I mean, outside of the mining industry, <laughs> um, Sorry, what, I actually run I, a business with. I was going to say, what, what I mean is what other things that I suppose are related to mining, related. any sort of start, yeah. any things that you're looking to maybe start up or implement, any side programs just to, and it might be something that you're actually passionate about and involved in. Um, yeah, I just wonder if you had anything on the horizon yeah. that you you wouldn't mind implementing or thinking of implementing or maybe in the process of, of doing something. Something that we're in the process of implementing and building up at Cornish Lithium, which I, I think is going to be a really good opportunity for us, is the use of AI and machine learning and actually manipulating our data sets. So, so we have a supercomputer now, which is very exciting. We've got access to quite a significant amount of Earth observation data. And then obviously we've got all of this historic mining data as well. So what we want to do is to start to look for pattern recognition and potentially predict where resources might be using this AI and machine learning approach. So we've got a couple of our geologists who are busy learning Python and other coding, and we're, we're trying to be quite smart and stay ahead of the curve as to what we're actually doing with that data. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really neat. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, got one last um, question, um, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, if there was one person that you would like to listen to on this particular podcast or you feel that I should reach out to someone and should interview that person, um, who, would, who would you say I should reach out to and uh, get on this podcast? And any particular reason why I should put that person on here? I would would say this is definitely putting me on the spot. Yeah. Um, I would yeah. say Sarah Gordon at Sarkala. Okay, I've, so, I've actually interviewed Sarah. Have you, oh, have you? Okay. <laughs> so, um, I've beat you to that. Yeah. Who else? Um, if if no one comes to mind, you, that's have you, have you have you have you interviewed Catriona Beasley? No. She's at Rio Tinto. She founded the Young Mining Professionals in London. Okay. And she's brilliant. She's a mining geologist by training. She worked out in Australia for a bit. And she's so switched on, so sharp, and so lovely. And she's going to be the next big thing. So, okay. Yeah, no, so okay. that yeah. sounds someone I'd need to get in contact with and uh, try and get her onto the podcast. So, yeah, really appreciate that. Um, really thank you for your time, Lucy, and uh, obviously providing the audience with um, an update on Cornish Lithium and obviously content around, um, obviously, carbon production um, and obviously your insights to branding uh, the image around mining and, brand, and it, it, the image around, I suppose, mining. So really appreciate your time in, in taking the time to do that. Um, if our audience wants to reach out or connect with you, how can they go about doing that? LinkedIn's probably the best way. Yeah. If you search for Lucy Crane on yeah. LinkedIn, I pop up there and I check it fairly often. So yeah. that'd be best. And are you on any other social media platforms? I do have Twitter, though I'm an intermittent Twitter user. It's my handle is Lucy V T Crane. Okay. And have you got an email address that people can contact you on if they've got any questions? Probably LinkedIn's the best way to okay. go. Way to yeah. go no worries. That. And if anyone's listening wants to um, ask Lucy a question or um, 
then they can obviously also email myself, which is rob at mining-international.org. I can uh, forward that uh, message on to Lucy. And um, yeah, if you've got any questions that you've got for her, um, no doubt she'll be able to answer them. Um, so really appreciate your time, guys, for listening to this uh, episode. Hopefully you, hopefully you got a lot from it. Um, please share the podcast out to the, the wider mining community. Um, also visit the uh, podcast website, which is digdeeptheminingpodcast.com. Um, please give us your um, feedback, your, your views on uh, this episode and other episodes. And, um, yeah, so we can keep this podcast going because I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm sure you are, and I'm sure the guests that I get on the show enjoy speaking about um, particular topics and subjects that's obviously um, related to the mining industry and, and to possibly current events. So um, appreciate listening. Um, and until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.